Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No, we're not going to give up until we either find him alive or his body. There's no way we'll give up. A family man who was desperately missed by his family nearly 30 years since he disappeared. It's another case Moline police are continuing to try to find answers for in the search for Jerry Wolking. These are the crimes that made your skin crawl. The missing faces you just couldn't get out of your head. The questions that never got answered. Missing and murdered in the Midwest dives deep into these unforgettable cases, solved and unsolved. A warning to all those who tune in, these episodes cover mature and sometimes graphic content. I'm your host, Toria Wilson. There is only so much we know about what happened to Jerry Wolking. There are obvious assumptions as to what happened October 18, 1990. But the only people who truly know are Wolking himself and whoever caused him harm. Because it's no secret that foul play is suspected in Jerry's case. But there are pieces to the puzzle still missing. So let's back up and break down what we do know. Jerry Wolking is 52 at the time of his disappearance. He is still an active worker at John Deere, but retirement not too far away. He was a loving father and grandfather who was in the process of getting divorced and was dating someone new. And like all new relationships, it's fresh, it's different, and there's a past that everyone leaves behind. But it seems as though Jerry's girlfriend's past came back to haunt the two. More on that later. In the days leading up to his disappearance, Jerry wasn't acting like himself, according to family members. Odd behavior that was unusual from the warm and loving man they had known him to be. At his granddaughter's birthday party, Jerry was pacing a lot, seemingly preoccupied within his thoughts, which was so unlike him. And what had others concerned is he didn't want to stay at the party long enough to give the gift to the birthday girl. So he leaves. The last person to see him alive is his girlfriend around 11 o'clock on October 18th. Evidence showed that Jerry made it home that night. He was planning on going to work the next day. His alarm clock was set, lunch was packed, and his heart medication was laid out for the next morning. But I couldn't tell you if he had done that prior to seeing his girlfriend or once he arrived home. But here's the theory that police have been working with at least for the past couple of years. He arrived home sometime after 11, after seeing his girlfriend. He was confronted by one or more attackers, a person that he knew, according to police. A struggle takes place. Someone gets into Jerry's vehicle and bam, 
Jerry is hit. Dead or unconscious, not sure which, Jerry is picked up. His body is thrown into the back of the Chevy Suburban. And we know we never see him again. Jerry obviously didn't report to work the next day. His family, alongside police, begin the search high and low for him. On October 21st, 1990, four days after he's reported missing, his son, Jerry Wolking Jr., finds his vehicle parked at the Quad City International Airport in the long-term parking section. Jerry Jr. knew the minute he saw his father's truck that something was terribly wrong. See, Wolking was an avid car lover, president of the local car club. His friends and family knew he would never leave his vehicle in less than pristine condition. So when his son stumbles upon the vehicle, the tires and undercarriage are caked in dried mud. In the inside, everything was thrown around, newspapers and whatnot. It was described as if it had been ransacked. I asked Moline Police Detective Michael Griffin that if it was usually in pristine condition and was later found ransacked, was anything stolen? But that was something police were unsure of. The biggest two pieces of evidence, though, a couple of blood drops found on all four sides outside the vehicle, some blood stains found inside. And if you looked at the front of this vehicle, this 1988 blue and white Chevy Suburban, there's two indicators something or someone was hit. The right side of the vehicle had some damage around the grill and headlight. And there's an indentation in the hood of the car. Moline Police Detective Michael Griffin told me it was consistent with Jerry being hit by his own vehicle. And there's DNA that proved it. Police said back then that there was no indication that Jerry hopped on a flight. But where did he go? And if someone was wanting to hurt Jerry, who could it be? The family, including his soon-to-be ex-wife, Vani, said they had no clue. He had lots of friends. I don't know of any enemies that he ever had. The family loved him very dearly. I can't think of anyone in the family that would want to hurt him for any reason. But that's the thing. It wasn't someone in the family that would hurt Jerry. It was a stranger, but someone very close to him. So let's go back to Jerry's girlfriend. I don't know her name, but police say she had nothing to do with Jerry's disappearance. Police say they had dated for several months. They were in love. But that really must have pissed off the estranged husband of Jerry's girlfriend. And Jerry might have knew that. He confided in family members and coworkers that he was afraid that this ex would kill him and told people that if anything were to happen to him, this man would probably be responsible. That man's name is Cornelia Sedum, who was a resident of Rock Island. It later comes to light that Sedum hired a private investigator to find out everything he could on who Jerry Wilking was. But the information of Jerry being fearful and the PI wouldn't come out for another 20 years. And I don't think Sedum actually becomes a person of interest until that time. Up until 2013, though, the case really did go cold. 
You can't solve a crime, right? Unless you have some sort of proof. It was during a cold case review that witnesses started coming forward. They talked about Wolking's fear of the estranged husband. The private investigator also comes forward and explains what he had been hired for. And more information keeps coming out, and it jump-started this investigation once more. One witness that comes forward in 2013 says he saw a vehicle that matched the description of Wolking's Suburban, stuck in the mud in the early morning hours of October 19, 1990. The vehicle was in a wooded area near the Poplar Grove Edition in Moline, just east of the Green Valley Softball Complex. Jerry's wallet and its contents were also found in this area. Back in 1992, police also searched that Green Valley area after the discovery of a green tarp. But that tarp did not link up to the disappearance. In 2013, with the help of Augustana College's geology department, forensic testing was done on the dirt and grass, which was found on Wolking's vehicle. They were similar to samples from the Poplar Grove area. And in the summer of that year, investigators began to dig. They will continue to do this until they've exhausted all the leads uh, that they found in the case. Different things they found in the case uh, led them to believe that possibly that is a location where uh, he may have ended up, if that's where he ended up. So they, they brought in the cadaver dogs to aid in the search. Detective Griffin tells me while the leads have been exhausted, they believe his body was thrown in this area and buried. Police would also search some land in Milan, once owned by relatives of Cornelia Sedum. But that hunch turned up nothing. So this is what we know for sure. Jerry Wolking is probably dead. Moline police have an idea who did it, but that person has been dead for nearly 10 years. The girlfriend of Jerry isn't a suspect in this case, but isn't cooperating at all with the investigation. She told police, quote, that case is long done. You should just leave it alone, end quote. Police are also fairly certain of where Jerry's body might be. And what we do know is people know what happened because police were receiving credible tips nearly 15 years after this crime. And it got them one step closer to solving this case. Detective Griffin says in the last six years, police were able to piece together this timeline what happened, how it happened, how he was moved, and where he was taken. They just need those last links, the last few puzzle pieces to finally solve this case. Maybe those people that they've had relationships with um, now want to get involved, now want to tell us so we can give the Woking family the resolution that they deserve. As Moline police say, your information could bring Jerry home. Don't wait another day. Episodes for Missing and Murdered in the Midwest are researched, written, and recorded by Toria Wilson. Production is by Elise Edens and Hannah Rodriguez. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I know it's a short one, but never fear. The next few episodes are long, in-depth, and in multiple parts, so you do not want to miss this at all as we cover the Internet's first serial killer. Coming soon.
Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.